Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, the 108th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. A-plus from the century mark. A-plus over the century mark. Excited, happy, great on this Monday afternoon as I'm recording. You can hear me on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, bevy of different podcasting and streaming avenues. Barbershop Sports Talk, right? Got a great show today. Gonna have Rod Walker. He covers the New Orleans Saints for The Advocate. He's gonna get into a lot of Drew Brees, Sean Payton, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, the whole deal. Recorded that interview last week during the New Orleans Saints. Bye. He even told me. Why? How Sean Payton changes up things. Some advice he got from Andy Reid on a bye. Now, obviously, that didn't work because when we recorded at the time, the Saints were on their bye preparing for the Atlanta Falcons. We know the Saints played the Falcons uh, this past Sunday and lost 26-9 and kind of a stanker. But it was a really interesting interview. Gave a lot of really good insight into the New Orleans Saints and a lot of stuff that I found tantalizing and information, some juicy information that I know everybody that's listening is going to want to hear. And also, something also, some other tidbits he gave me that you stay tuned for. His top three loudest stadiums, because we know uh, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. It's one of the loudest and rabid environments in the NFL. But he gave me some other stadiums he's been to, and he's ranked all of them. So that's going to be a really interesting interview. But here's where I want to start. Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. 49 points on the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Lamar torches Bill Belichick's defense in the New England Patriots. Everybody was saying might be the greatest ever the week prior. Everybody's talking about Lamar Jackson. Is now the prototypical NFL QB. Lamar Jackson. Star in waiting. Lamar Jackson's better than Baker Mayfield. Lamar Jackson this, Lamar Jackson that. Lamar Jackson is the future. He played great. I'm not going to deny that. Believed he rushed for a touchdown. Threw three touchdowns, zero picks. Was very efficient. Had over 100 quarterback rating. But here's what I'm going to say about Lamar Jackson and the running quarterback in general. I don't know if Lamar Jackson is made to last in the league. Evidence would show that he's not made to last in the league. If you look at running quarterbacks, Michael Vick didn't reach his potential. Cam Newton, another guy on the trading block right now, didn't reach his potential. Colin Kaepernick didn't reach his potential. Now, all of those guys uh, didn't reach their potential for a myriad of different reasons. Either getting in trouble off the field, taking too much hits, that style. Teams eventually figure out and catch up to that read option running style and you want to know what it looks really nice with Lamar right now but here's what I'm going to say right uh, a couple years ago I took a math class it was sports stats and we used a computer software called SPSS right I don't know too much about the software but we would use it and we put a bunch of data and there would always be a uh, there would always be a um, outlier an outlier there'd always be an outlier so, for example, we could have 10 people, right? All 10 of these people smoke. They smoke heavy. Smoke cigarettes heavy. What do we know what smoking does to you? It increases your chances of lung cancer, right? So, all 9 of those, uh, 9 of the 10 get lung cancer eventually. Except for the 1. Why doesn't the 1 get lung cancer? It's an outlier. We don't know. It could be, it could be God. 
<laughs> it could be he has good genetics. It could be, quite frankly, he's just lucky. And it didn't happen to him. But for some reason, that one person, while doing the same thing that those other nine did, didn't get lung cancer. It's an outlier. There's no rhyme or reason. We don't know. Lamar Jackson might end up being the future, might end up being the success, might end up winning a Super Bowl. But let's remember here, Lamar's an outlier. Lamar Jackson is the exception to the rule. He's the exception. He has a, he's a special talent that transcends the rule that you need a prototypical pocket passer. Because I'm trying to tell you, the offense that the Baltimore Ravens run cannot and will not win in the NFL for every team and for every quarterback. The Denver Broncos ran the spread option with Tim Tebow. You want to know what happened with the Denver Broncos? They got blown out in the playoffs, and then John L. was like, bump this. How about I get rid of Tim Tebow and I get Peyton Manning? You want to know the quarterback that has the most winning success in NFL history? Tom Brady. A quarterback that has the second most winning success in NFL history. Joe Montana. You want to know what those two guys have in common? Prototypical pocket quarterbacks. Best quarterbacks in the league. Drew Brees, pocket quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, pocket quarterback, even though he can move. Ben Roethlisberger can move a little bit. Can extend plays, but still a pocket quarterback. I can give you a list of names. Carson Wentz. Dak Prescott. All of them can run. All of them have athleticism. Deshaun Watson. But at the end of the day, they can play from the pocket. Lamar is special. And I won't deny that Lamar is special. And I won't deny that Lamar won't win a Super Bowl. That he can't. That he can't have success. And I'll tell you this. Baker Mayfield is more of a pocket quarterback. And Lamar is better than Baker. Sam Donald and Josh Rosen were more pocket quarterbacks. And Lamar is better than all of them. In fact, it's not even close. Lamar Jackson, right now, if the season ended today, could be MVP of the entire NFL. That's pretty damn special. But let's remember, Lamar is the outlier. Lamar is the guy that was smoking that doesn't get cancer. It's not likely. It's not probable. And it's not something you should bet your money on. Hey, let's find the next Lamar Jackson. Oh, no. There is no next Lamar Jackson. Cam Newton was 6'6 and ran quarterback power. You want to know what happened? Cam Newton got beat up. And now Kyle Allen's starting for the Carolina Panthers. Eventually, Colin Kaepernick and that pistol offense they ran, it got figured out. Colin Kaepernick deteriorated. He could never develop as a passer. And he's out of the league, as well as for other reasons, but he's out of the league. Michael Vick, six foot, beaten and battered towards the end of Philadelphia. He was injury prone. He was seeing ghosts, as Sam Darnold might say. <laughs> Yes, Lamar's special. Yes, Lamar's talented. Yes, I love watching Lamar. Yes, maybe someday Lamar Jackson will be considered the best quarterback in the NFL. But the chances of there being a Lamar 2.0, a second Lamar, is unlikely. Chances of there being a third Lamar, a Lamar 3.0, even more unlikely. There's a better chance you're going to be able to find a pocket quarterback that can win you a Super Bowl than a running quarterback that can win you a Super Bowl. And it doesn't mean that both can't get you to the end destination. Right? It, it doesn't mean that. 
car and a plane can get you the same place. I live in Buffalo, right? A car and a plane can get me to California from Buffalo. But you want to know what? An airplane is a hell of a lot quicker. <laughs> a way quicker. Way quicker. Not even close. Now, before we have our interview, I'm going to have Rod Walker. I cover the New Orleans Saints. Like I said, going to have a lot of interesting stories with Rod. A lot of good, a lot of good content. A lot of good content. But before we get there, I, I do want to tell a quick story, right? And I, I usually don't tell these type of stories just because... So some things are better left unsaid, uh, especially party stories, right? <laughs> some things people don't need to know, especially at certain times. But I, I found this one really interesting. And I actually told the guy I was talking to when I was out on a Saturday night. I said I'd mention this on the podcast, and I, and I thought it was really interesting. It has to do with sports, too. And uh, I was at a party, right, a house party. And then I, I'm going, and I see a guy in a, in a Bills, uh, Bills jersey, right? And usually, you know, at the school I go to, John Carroll, people are either from uh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, or like the Cleveland area. So, the fact that it's a Bills jersey, I'm like, oh, hey, yeah, you're a Bills fan. Right? Are you from Buffalo? So, it's not from Buffalo. And he says, no. <laughs> and this is the part that gets me. He's wearing an Ethan Peterman jersey. And I'm like, you know, because if, you know, if you're at a party, you would think that most people wear jerseys of players that are reputable. For example, you wear Kobe Bryant's jersey. You wear LeBron James's jersey. You wear Tom Brady's jersey. If you're from Cleveland, you wear Baker Mayfield or Odell Beckham's or Miles Garrett. You don't wear the third-string quarterback that nobody's ever heard of. You don't wear Nathan Peterman, right? So he's just breaking a bunch of rules to begin with. So at, at first, I either thought, the guy's a Bills fan, right? Just want to wear his Bills jersey, support the Bills, wrap the 716. I, I appreciate that. Or maybe he's just an idiot. <laughs> or maybe he's trying to troll somebody. And it turns out it was neither. You know what this guy said to me? Why he was wearing a Nathan Peterman jersey? Because Lord knows, everybody in Buffalo knows how bad Nathan Peterman was. He said, listen, man, I'm not from Buffalo. I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm just a Nathan Peterman fan. <laughs> he told me he was just a Nathan Peterman fan. And I'm looking at him like... Okay, because he's actually from Pittsburgh. Nathan Peterman went to college at the University of Pitt, Pittsburgh. So he just went to wear a Bill's Nathan Peterman jersey. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm praying for you, man. I'm praying for you, brother. I don't know how you're walking around with the Nathan Peterman jersey. Because truthfully, if you do that in Buffalo, people are going to clown you if you do that in Buffalo. Jokes for days. I thought that'd be an interesting story to tell. And I told him I was going to tell a story on my podcast. And shout out to that guy if he's listening right now. I uh, didn't necessarily catch his name, but I do remember telling him I had a podcast. And I said, that's interesting that he wears Nathan <laughs> wearing a Nathan Peterman jersey. But coming next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to have Rod Walker on the show. Coming next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Back with Barbershop Sports Talk, we have a very special guest with us, Rod Walker. He covers the New Orleans Saints for The Advocate. How you doing, Rod? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Now, the first thing I want to ask you about is um, 
the Saints, they go through a period of time where the, without Drew Brees, uh, Teddy Bridgewater comes and kind of steadies the ship. What's been the key to the Saints getting off to the 7-1 and one start, despite missing their MVP caliber quarterback for a majority of that? Uh, I think the main thing is this team, and it, you credit um, Sean Payton and general manager uh, Mickey Nomas for the, the pieces they put together here, but this team has an awful lot of depth, and I don't know even people here realize it until they saw some of the injuries that this team has faced and, and they've been able to overcome it. Overcome it. But, uh, you know, you, you talk about that 5-0 and run that Teddy Bridgewater had when he had to replace Drew Brees, and the defense has really been spectacular these um Really, the whole season, I mean, they've held some really good teams in check. I mean, they shut Dallas down. And, I mean, obviously, we saw they did the past few weeks, um, going back to the Jacksonville game and then the Chicago Bears game, then the Arizona Cardinals game. So the defense is playing really, really well right now. Um, they've just been able to put all these pieces in place. I mean, Breeze went down and Teddy Bridgewater stepped up. Alvin Kamara went down and Latavius Murray comes in and plays really big and, you know, gets 30 touches in a game, which is something that Kamara hadn't even done. So, I mean, just just keep plugging in holes, and it's, it's really been impressive to see a team do this because this is a team that they're seven and one. And if you had told me before the season, even with Drew Brees, that they'd be seven and one, I probably would have said, ah, maybe, maybe not. But for them to do that with all the injuries they've had is really remarkable. Now, Rod, how do you think they're able to do it? Because it's almost kind of patriot esque, right? The uh, somebody goes down, next man up. How are they able to do that? What type of cultures does Sean Payton create where it's able to happen no matter who's in the lineup they win? How, where does that come from? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if it's anything in particular. I think these guys sort of believe in themselves. And I know one thing that this team has really talked about is when, they, when the NFL schedule, schedule came out, the Saints had two back-to-back West Coast road trips, which is really rare for, for the NFL to even do that. But they were playing the Rams one week and the Seahawks the next week. And instead of the Saints leaving L.A., flying back to New Orleans, and then flying back to Seattle, they just went straight from L.A. to Washington. And they stayed in Seattle the entire week, prepared for that game. And just talking to some of the players, they talked about how close-knit they became um, during that time. Because, I mean, you know, they're not, you're not sleeping in your own bed at home. You're hanging out in the hotel together. The team just seemed to really bond um, during that week in Seattle, and uh, I think the things just really started to click after that. So I'd attribute a lot of it to that to that trip and that decision to stay out there instead of flying back to New Orleans. Because that's, and you have to remember that that Seattle trip was right after Greaves got hurt. So, I mean, this was all during that same period, and I think it had a lot to do with it. And, and not just that, but, I mean, these guys are experienced, and they've been so close to the Super Bowl, and the past two seasons, so I think they're just really hungry right now, and they're just, you know, I know it's a cliche, but they're just not, they're not going to be denied if they like, they're just willing to do whatever it takes to, to, um, to get the win, and nobody on this team cares about who gets the credit, um, it's not, it's a very, you don't see, you don't see any selfish guys in this locker room, it's just, you know, the, the locker room camaraderie is, and I haven't been to every locker room in the NFL, so I can't compare it to other things, but I know this is a really a close-knit bunch, and they don't really have any distractions in the locker room at all. And that's a credit to Sean Payton, too, I guess, for being able to you know, keep that locker room drama free.
Now, a question I have for you, right, is they go 5-0, and you mentioned that, and a lot of people don't know how good of a backup Teddy Bridgewater is, but I have to imagine a large part of that success is, you know, having a guy like Drew Brees that he can lean on, ask questions, even Sean Payton, the offensive mind he is. How much of an impact do you think Drew Brees has had in terms of empowering Teddy Bridgewater over that time to be like, you know, I'm out, you're the guy, we need you? How much of a factor do you think Drew Brees has played in that? Uh, I don't know if it's been that big of a factor. I think, I mean, I'm, I, mean I know Brees is, you know, told me, hey, it's your job, and, you know, go out there and win and all that. But I think, for the most part, I think it's, I probably credit Sean more. I mean, I think he's been able to put in an offense that, you know, that works for Teddy. And I think he's just, um, I mean, Sean's an offensive guy. I mean, that's what he does. And I think Sean thrives off of it. He likes that challenge of, you know, okay, this piece is out, so we got to come up with something else. I mean, I think that's what sort of drives Sean, and I think that's why this team has been able to do well no matter who's quarterback, and I think you saw the same thing when, when Alvin Kamara went down. I think um, Sean just said, okay, we can do some other things with Latavius, and that's what makes Sean Payton Sean Payton. He's just able to to tweak the offense to, to, to get the strength of the team. Now, I just actually read a report, I believe, like a little bit early this morning or even yesterday that Teddy Bridgewater, if he's on the open market, he's going to 25 to 30. A lot of teams are hot on him after that hot start that he had. Do you think that Teddy Bridgewater could leave New Orleans after this year? Or do you think he would stay? Uh, I think it all depends on what Drew Brees does. I mean, if Drew Brees decides to come back, decides to come back for another season, uh, I don't know if Teddy would – I don't know if he'd want to sit on the bench another year, especially if – I mean, he's, you know, they paid him $7 million to come back for this season, but I don't know if he – I don't know if he comes back to be a backup. I think he's done enough. I mean, this was these five weeks have been sort of an audition for him, and I think he passed that audition with flying colors going 5-0. and There are a lot of NFL teams out there that need a quarterback. I mean, we see it every week, and I think uh, if Teddy has a chance to go for and start and and make some more make more money, I think he'd do it. But um, I, I do think Teddy likes it here, but I do think after this, I think he sees that, hey, I'm, and not that he didn't see it anyway, but I think the past five weeks really showed what he can do. And I just think he he, he probably sees that opportunity at the game. So I don't know how much longer he's willing to be Drew Brees back. I mean, he's done it for, this will be two years pretty much. So I don't know if he'd be willing to do it for a third year. I mean, he's not, he's not getting any younger. So And he's still a young guy, but he's not getting younger. I think he's kind of shown that it is his time to be starting for somebody. Do you think that Drew Brees will retire after this year? Oh, that's a good question, man. You know, people have asked that's one of the questions I get asked the most. And I think, um, you know, going to the season, I always said, I think he just, you know, if they can win, I think he'd go out on top and, and call it a career. But, you know, sometimes you just see how competitive Drew is, even just coming back from his injury. I mean, he came back, you know, a week earlier than doctors even thought he would. And that's just that's how driven he is and how competitive he is. So I mean, Jim's the kind of guy that you know he can win a Super Bowl this year and and think to himself, man, I think I can do this again because that's just he just wired that way. And so I wouldn't be shocked either way. But you know, if I was just guessing, I mean, I'd probably say he just go out on top. But just with Drew, you just never, never know. Now, how? How do you think Drew Brees has been able to sustain this level? You know, we always talk about Tom Brady, how well he's playing to his 40s. But Drew Brees is doing the same thing. What does Drew Brees do that allows him to stay and being an elite quarterback at this stage of his career and at this age? I think it's the same thing that people say about Brady. I mean, people talk about Drew and his attention to detail. and Everything's like clockwork with him. I mean, he has to be on a schedule. He does everything the way it's... He just has a routine. He's not going to 
just away from it. He pays so much attention to everything he puts into his body. I mean, just everything just so important to him. And, um, and I think it's the same thing with Tom Brady. I think those guys are just they're different, but that's why they're successful. I mean, they're just just ultra competitive and an attention to detail and just a work ethic that most people uh, just can't relate to because they just don't have that drive those guys have. And, uh, and I know for Drew, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he was pretty much told all his life coming up that he wasn't tall enough and, you know, just kind of got overlooked. So I'm sure that, that's driven him. I mean, I don't know if Brady had that issue, but uh, Breeze has just been, you know, just kind of been a guy that felt like he had to overcome and now he's just so, so driven that it's just in him now and that's just who he is. Now, when you talk about another driven guy, Sean Payton, uh, not only is regarded as one of the best offensive minds in football, but just as a coach, he just seems like such a happy, fun guy, just doesn't take things too seriously, gets kind of jacked up. I remember this a story that he was like, he had like the old Super Bowl trophy from like 09. He was like, you guys want this last year? Just what type of coach is Sean Payton? How does he relate to the guys? And how does he get the guys to play for him? I think the guys, you know, you talk to the guys, they really, really like him. He's, uh, they always talk about his motivational tactics. I mean, he'll other thing last year when he had all the people all this money into the locker room just cash money it was, it was whatever the players make for winning the Super Bowl you know he's like hey do y'all want this he's, hey you know that's, you know, you gotta go out here and win and get it um, you know he'll bring in last guys from I think it was last year when I can't remember which teams it was I think Purdue was involved maybe when Purdue beat Ohio State or something but anyway he brought in the mascot and got up because you know, he got a lot of Ohio State guys on the team he just do whatever the moment, guys. He's really um, kind of a fiery coach as far as, I mean, players like love to play for him because, you know, he puts guys in the best position to win and he's not, he's not an in-your-face kind of guy. I mean, he just knows how to push the right buttons for players and I think players appreciate that and it, you know, it really works both ways. I mean, he appreciates them and they appreciate, he appreciates them and, and they appreciate him. I mean, that's just how, He's just, he's just, he's a player's coach, I think. I mean, I've never heard a player that he doesn't like Sean Payton. And you've never heard a player complain about him. He's, um, that, that's just his thing. And I think that's why, that's another reason he's been so successful because guys like playing for him. Now, what do you think is the most interesting or, you know, slash funniest thing Sean Payton's ever done to motivate his guys? Because you even mentioned the mascot. What's the thing that comes to your mind when you think of stuff Sean Payton's done to motivate his team? Now, talk about the impact guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara make on the offense. Because we talk about how Teddy Bridgewater had so much success when uh, Breeze was out. But part of that is because when you have guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, why they're able to be so explosive and so productive on offense. Just talk about the impact those two guys make. Uh, I I guess I'll start with with Mike just because he's been the one that's played every game. Uh, Alvin's missed two games this season and the team has been winning without him. But Mike is... If you ask anybody in that locker room, they'll tell you the same thing about Mike. 
he treats every rep in practice as if he's playing a Super Bowl. And that's, that's just how he is, too. I mean, he just, he's going full throttle every, every, every rep in practice. And, you know, he's big, strong, he's physical, he has a great hand. And, and, you know, he's able to put these big numbers, but it didn't matter if it was Teddy throwing them or, or, or Drew throwing the ball. And he's, uh, and they always talk about how you just, you throw it in the center, he's probably going to catch it. I mean, it's just how he is. I mean, he's like his, his, his numbers as far as targets and receptions. I mean, he pretty much catches everything you throw his way. He's leading the NFL in receptions and yards right now, which is something that doesn't happen a whole lot, but he's never to do that. And I think he's, I mean, I know a wide receiver has never won MVP, but I think Mike has put himself in that conversation just because he's been able to put up such lofty numbers with two different quarterbacks. I mean, I know sometimes you you know, if it was just Drew Brees, you'd be talking about Drew Brees for the MVP, but I might be able to do this with two quarterbacks. Uh, says a lot about how special he is. And as far as Allen, I mean, Allen's like this guy that, uh, I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch some of his summer workout videos that posted on YouTube, but he's just a free coming athlete. He can do some crazy things. Um, his balance is second to none. I mean, he's had his ability to stand his feet that most running backs don't have. I mean, he can just, he has uncanny balance, and he's kind of like Sean Payton's toy. I mean, Sean, like, he loves to come up with ways to, to use Alvin, and, you know, Alvin's a dual-threat guy. I mean, he catch passes, and he can run out the backfield, and, um, and he, you know, he, a lot of people didn't know about Alvin in college because the University of Tennessee didn't, they didn't use him a lot. Um, I don't know how many carries Alvin had in college. A lot of people didn't even know who he was, but Sean and his staff, I mean, they, they saw something in him, and, it proved to be a perfect fit for his offense, and that's just, Sean loves those kind of guys that can do multiple things, and he gives him, you know, just another weapon and something he can he can tinker with his offense and just do some crazy things with him. That's what he's been able to do with Alvin. Now, I want to talk about Taysom Hill because, you right, you have Breeze, you have Bridgewater, and then you have Taysom Hill, and you can make an argument that's the best quarterback room in football. I mean, I'd be hard for us to find uh, a quarterback room that features those three guys. But just talk about the impact Taysom Hill makes as a third-string quarterback. I don't think people realize that. Yeah, Taysom is a, you know, I, I just mentioned Alan Kamara being a toy for Sean Payton. Taysom is really his toy. I mean, Taysom is a guy that, you know, you know, he's kind of a guy that's just so athletic. Very well could be the most athletic guy on the team with his ability to do everything. And uh, he's a special teams guy. He's blocked the punt. I mean, he's done so much. I mean, he's caught, he's catching touchdown pass. They can allow him to tight end. They can allow him in the backfield. He can play quarterback. You know, he's completed passes. I mean, he's just done it all. And, um, you know, he's, I guess he's a 2000. 18 and 19 version of what Cordell Stewart was back in the 90s for the Steelers. I mean, he just able to do a lot of things, and, and Sean doesn't shy away from using him to do all those things. And, you know, obviously when Teddy was starting quarterback and Taysom was the number two guy, they weren't able to use Taysom as much because you, you, know, you don't want to risk an injury to your number two quarterback. But, you know, now that he's back at, at the number three quarterback, Sean's been able to, to move him back to, to doing the stuff that he's accustomed to doing and I mean we saw they got a touchdown on Sunday against the uh, against the Cardinals playing as receivers so that's just shows how personal he is you don't see many guys like that in the NFL 
Yeah, and, and I just explained that too because you don't see a guy that's you know a, a young quarterback, third stringer, and you know he's kind of willing to do everything. Like, hey, you want me to do kick returns? Hey, you want me to block a punt? Hey, you want me to play tight end? I'll do it. You know, nowadays age, you, you see people have the stigma of running quarterback. They don't want that. They're like, I want to play in the pocket. I don't want to do the other stuff. Just talk about Taysom Hill's willingness to be a team player and do whatever it takes to help the team win, even if I, even if it might be something that's out of his regular position. Yeah, that's what Taysom always says. I mean, he just wants to do whatever he can to help the team win, and that's what he's been able to do. And, you know, just talking to Sean, you know, Sean still will tell you to this day that, you know, he, he thinks that Taysom's future is at quarterback. I mean, he thinks that's what he'll do one do someday. But, I mean, right now, the room is crowded, and there's no, there's really not a lot of room for him to do that here in New Orleans. But, I mean, he's the guy that Sean thinks can can do it. He's, he's thrown the ball really well. Um, he's improved a lot in, in his, his ability to pass. Um, in the preseason, he played really well, and he had a couple snaps at quarterback this season and threw the ball well. And you know, maybe one day it'll happen for him. But I mean, right now he's just he's too valuable of a piece for them to um, just sit on the bench. And I mean, his athleticism it, it causes problems for other teams. I mean, you see Taysom, I mean, you don't really know who to defend him with because he's a little too fast for a linebacker and, and he's so physical. So, I mean, he, he causes matchup problems and I think this place is, you know, doing the right thing by taking advantage of those problems that he causes. And, you know, when, you know if they're time problem, he's a full-time quarterback. Uh, I'm sure they have to adjust accordingly. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're using him as many ways they can. And you get around the league and there are other teams in the NFL now that are, you know, trying to find him a taste of heel type guy, just someone who and can you talk about if this is the case in New Orleans locker room? How much do guys like that, do they talk about their, like, you know, like, Taysom's the quarterback, and he just knocked that DN on his butt. He just he's blocking this linebacker over. Okay, Taysom, he just cracked back somebody. Like, you know, how much fun do they have with him about it, and how much is that thing in terms of, you know, morale and, like, team building when they're like, okay, Taysom? Yeah, I mean, Taysom's a guy that, I mean, everybody on the team likes him because he's, like, he's such a freak of an athlete, and, yeah, I mean, he's, um, de- definitely a guy that everybody just raves about whenever he does something because he's always doing something and he's like, wow, he did that. Wow, he did that. There's just always something with him. And I know the Saints had a, they had a big team luncheon uh, probably a week before they, they cut the roster down to 53. But anyway, they introduced every player individually. And there are a lot of fans that took this fan, but they, they introduced every player individually. And this year, Tyson had the loudest applause for anyone. I mean, that's just how beloved he is in this city. And just because he's just, well, he's a super nice guy, but it's not just that. I mean, it's what he does in the field. And just all the fans just appreciate him just to, to see a guy who's able to do so much stuff. But yeah, he's definitely um, a guy that's marveled in, in, not only in the locker room, but just in the in New Orleans period. Now, now, a question I have for you, and I've kind of always wondered this, because a lot of the times, and I want to go back to one more New England analogy really quickly, a lot of people talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady in that situation, like, oh, Brady didn't want Garoppolo, all this, all that, the quarterback situation was kind of unhealthy, Belichick wanted to get rid of him. And I just want to kind of compare that to New Orleans a little bit, because you have Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback. quarterback. You have Teddy Bridgewater, arguably the second, uh, the best backup in the NFL. You have Taysom Hill, who we just mentioned. He's a freak. How is all that able to work? Everybody's comfortable with their playing time and their role, even though though Brees is older. You have Sean Payton and everything, and you never hear anything about New Orleans and their quarterback situation. Hey, he's trying to get rid of him, but you hear that in New England. What does 
happen what happens that allows for you know those type of distractions and negativity to fester like what do you think new orleans does particularly with breeze Taysom hill uh teddy bridgewater and sean payton where that stuff doesn't get talked about Now, the Saints, they're on their bye week. Just talk about, like, what are the Saints doing on their bye week? Are guys on vacation? Are they staying home? Like, what's going on? What's the team doing? Well, you know, Sean, um, that was a time when Sean, <laughs> and he's been here since 2006. That was his first season. But that was some of those first years early on when the Saints didn't do well after a bye. So, Sean, you know, he, he called up Andy Reid. He's a friend of Andy Reid. And, Andy Reid is, is one of, if not the most successful coach in the league after a bye. And Sean called him up, you know, and asked him, like, hey, what do you typically do after a bye? And this was years ago. So Sean's thing now is, you know, on that Monday after the game, before the, the game after the bye, Sean just tells his, his guys, that's like, hey, see you later. He, he, let, he lets them go out and do what they want to do. They go home. Uh, he just gives them that time to them, you know, to themselves to, you know, to get their bodies back. You know, just kind of refresh, relax, just take a breather, and you know, just kind of enjoy your family and do all those things, and then get back, to, you know, get back in here um, the week of the next game and, and get back to work. But he just, you know, he feel like this is the time to just, uh, you know, just kind of get your legs back under you and just take a break from from football and and you know, this year the bye fell at the exact midpoint of the season for the Saints eight games in. You know, sometimes it falls earlier and sometimes it falls later, but. Whenever you get that by in the middle of the season like this, then it is kind of eight games, 16 games together. I mean, I think, I think that both well for the team. I think it's, I think it's beneficial when the by works like that. But yeah, he just let the guys go home and do whatever they want to do. Now, give me a prediction for the second half of the season for New Orleans after they get off the by. What do you see coming for this team? <sighs> Man, it's, it's hard to pick against this team after seeing what they've done in the first eight weeks and with, with, um, you know, what they're going to do despite Breeze being hurt and despite Alvin being out. Um, the schedule, you know, there's a big game um, against the 49ers on the schedule, which, you know, the 49ers continue doing what they're doing and the Saints continue doing what they're doing. I mean, this game could possibly be for the top seed in the, in the NFC. I mean, I there's a lot to play, a lot, a lot of season to play. But the Saints also have the bulk of their division games uh, remaining. They've only played Tampa Bay once. They haven't played. Carolina on the Falcons at all, and we had to play Tampa the second time. So that's five division games right there. Five of the eight of the division games. Um, we talked about the 49ers game already. 
the team had to have a they have a Monday night game against uh, the Colts, which would be a big game. The Colts, you know, playoff team. Then they also have to go to face the Titans um, in December. So I think the schedule actually is better for the Saints. The second half, and the first half schedule was yeah, that, that first four weeks was, was tough. I mean, opening with the Titans, um, going to LA, going to Seattle, and then playing Dallas at home. The other four tough four game slate. They won't see four games tougher than that offense the rest of the way. So I, I think the second half, I mean, they were 7 1 first half, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went 7 1 again in the second half and, and probably get that number one seed in the NFC, which is, to me, I think is very important. I think it's, like, you know, I think that's something the like Saints need to do if they want to uh, get to the Super Bowl. You know, they, they've done well on the road, but I think just playing at home it gives you such an advantage, especially when you have a home crowd like like the one they have here in New Orleans. Yeah, how tough of an, of an advantage is that home crowd in that dome? Just, just talk about that. How electric is it in the playoffs, and how hard is it to win there? Uh, it's pretty incredible, man. I've had a chance to go to, I haven't been to every stadium in the league, but I've been to the ones that are considered the loudest. I've been to Kansas City, I've been to Seattle. Uh, uh, the, the dome is <laughs> a different animal, man. Uh, and it gets, as you know, the playoffs, it really turns up. But the dome is really loud, even on a regular season game. Uh, but like the Rams game, the NFC Championship game last year was the loudest game I've ever been to in my life. You know, there are some people here that have been in New Orleans longer than me who, you know, they sort of debate between that game and um, the, the Falcons game back in 2006 when uh, the Eagles were blocked the punch and, you know, the team was coming back from Hurricane Katrina. But, you know, people will, you won't find many people who say that one of those two games weren't the loudest. I mean, it, yeah, it gets really, really loud in there. I don't really even see how an opposing quarterback can try to call a play. I mean, it's, it's really tough on them. I mean, they, have to, they have to rely on hand signals. And for a young quarterback, it's really hard. And, um, and you know, you can sometimes talk to some of these younger quarterbacks that come here about how tough it is to play there. And, you know, they'll tell you. I mean, I don't think many people argue it's the loudest um, stadium in the, uh, in the league. I mean, it's a special place when it's. It's rocking like it can do on, especially on a prime time game. I mean, it's really, you give these people a chance to, <laughs> to drink all day and, you know, get the, get the bodies all worked up. I mean, it's big loud on all of that game. Now, you said you've been to, like, three of the loudest uh, stadiums. You said uh, New Orleans, Seattle, Kansas City. Can you rank three of them? Rank them in order. Uh, I put you as far as loudest? Yes. Now you said Minnesota. You said Minnesota might be the best stadium in the league. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I
two years uh the saints have had disappointing endings uh the minnesota miracle uh and um the, the the pass interference that wasn't a pass interference right they changed the rules how much do you think that that is talked about in the new orleans locker room uh how much was it talked in the new orleans locker room uh and does that motivate them Now, who's the best soundbite on the team? Uh, I think that depends on if you're <laughs> if you're working for TV and you got a camera up and you want something witty, you probably go to Cam Jordan. Uh, uh, if you're looking for something um, just Shadow Rankins is probably one of the better ones as far as just um, uh, he's a guy that people typically like always go to because you know he's just going to give you some good quality stuff. Kevon um, Armstead is really good. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore is really really good. Um, those are probably the top three guys I would say as far as just uh, a media guy. I mean, you know, guys with media really seem to flock to a lot because they're just always they're just really insightful and they, they, they just always kind of give you something so that was probably my three guys for that now you kind of laugh when you mention those guys names is there anything they ever told you or any sound that you ever got for them that, that kind of chuckles you what now 
uh, any when you mention those guys, anything that they've ever said personally or you've heard or any stories you've heard that's kind of like, yeah, that's pretty funny. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem, man. Anytime you want to have me on, just, just let me know. And once again, I want to thank Rod Walker for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And that's it for the 108th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. We'll be back on Wednesday. A lot of great stuff that's going to be able to talk about. Also, 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, Monday night tonight. Going to talk about that game and a lot much more. On Wednesday. And thank you for tuning into this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.